Hello and welcome to Scopy Radio. My name is Dan Johansson. And I'm Maureen Smith. And we are joined by Carolyn Shaw. Hi. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Doing all right. Yeah? Doing all right. <laughs> um, the laugh of knowing. <laughs> Daniel currently is not wearing his glasses because he broke them last night because we drank too much. Yep. Broken glasses. Currently, they are currently um, mending via super glue. Don't know if that's going to pan out. This is a lesson to all you kids out there. Don't hang out with tenors on a Thursday night with nothing to do. Shout out Joaquin Lewis. (laughs) Nothing good can come from that. When at at 5.30 on a Thursday night, you, you make eye contact with a tenor and say, let's get tanked. Yeah. Nobody's ever, nobody's ever walked away from that unscathed. Nope. No. And then he was like, I'm going to make alio olio. <laughs> oh my God. He made the best alio olio. I don't even know what that is. It's, so it's like, um, it sounds like you're making it up. I think you guys are just making stuff up now. No. It's a five ingredient pasta dish. It's really basic. It's olive oil, garlic, parsley, lemon juice, red pepper flake, red pepper flake, and spaghetti and spaghetti. And it's one of those things that. Mm, that would be really good, but it's basically <laughs> just like the base of most pasta dishes but it's just the idea of like cooking being good enough as a chef to cook them well enough that it makes the it marriages into this perfect like it was so oh, good. no i got it anytime yeah. i'm having a bad day i go into the kitchen and make some pasta and then everything suddenly it's makes like sense again washes mm-hmm. away mm-hmm. yeah everything makes sense in the kitchen yeah yeah absolutely, absolutely. the beginning and end of all of my problems <laughs> the beginning and end of all of your problems yes Start cooking, figure everything out, and then there's just dishes. Who wants to do that? Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Birdie doesn't help. Birdie Mac doesn't help. No, Birdie Mac is no help with the dishes. Yeah. We were talking about birds before we started recording because we didn't know that they're so cuddly. They're so cuddly. My bird's super cuddly. Oh. I was describing um, our mornings with Moody. By the way, mornings with Moody. Excellent book title. Mornings with... So, um... Where there's if a book we, that's like Tuesday. Tuesdays with Maury, yeah, mornings with Moody, yeah. way less sad. <laughs> um, so if like if we stay in bed like ten minutes too long by her standards, she'll like climb up on my pillow and like make the tiniest meow ever meowed. Mm-hmm. Um, she was like, oh yeah, my bird kind of does that same thing. No, he makes a fucking ruckus <laughs> until I get up and go get him. There's nothing cute or sweet about it. It's just squawking until until he comes and gets taken yeah. to where he wants to go. There's nothing cute about it. Does he live in your room? No. No, he yeah. like lives on the other side of the Yeah, he lives on the other side of the apartment in front of a window so he can like survey. Right. All of all of everything that's happening in the trees because I live on the third story, so he's basically up in the cool. trees just watching everything. Cool. Have you do like? Are the neighbors nearby? We're I'm on the corner of a nice. th- of a three story walk up. I'm on the top floor too, so cool. I think my neighbors know that the bird exists, but nobody's like complained. Right. I mean, yeah. if they haven't complained about my singing. Right. Like, I don't think they're going to complain about the bird. Right. No, that's like, that's actually a lot, uh, very similar to what this apartment is like, because this is also the corner unit, and we have upstairs neighbors, but they haven't said anything yet. Yeah. We've had a, like, a rock band in here at this point. Yeah, I've never had any, I mean, and now that I'm practicing, like, all day, every day, mm-hmm. I haven't heard anybody complain about anything, which is nice. Yeah, practicing for... My cabaret that's coming yeah. up. Do you like that segue? <laughs> that's, that's professional, great. <laughs> yeah. 
So tell us a little bit about the cabaret you have upcoming. Sure. Um, I am doing a cabaret about my experiences from the last three years. I was in a pretty emotionally abusive marriage, and I it ended in a very unceremonious way. And I kind of, I was in a real bad way when it was done. And I did a lot of therapy, and I read every Elephant Journal article I could find about heartache and I talked to all of my friends and I slowly started piecing myself back together and realizing that I was in an emotionally abusive relationship, which I didn't really know I was in, realizing my patterns of being attracted to emotional abuse and being comfortable in emotional abuse Mm. and learning how to kind of love myself and be healthy with myself and therefore, you know, get to a point where I could achieve healthier relationships. And so... Like any singer, any performer, I was looking back at it and I was thinking about it. I'm like, well, hell, I should do a show about this. This is, Mm -hmm. you know, I tell everybody my story and I ended up, you know, I mean, I don't like, I don't like meet somebody and be like, hi, I'm Caroline. Would you like to hear about my divorce? But like, you know, if you meet people and you start having conversations, like I'll tell people if it makes sense. And I was starting to notice that a lot of people, more women than men, but I mean, obviously men can be in this situation too. We're really relating to what I was talking about. And I um, remember I went to the Dominican Republic with one of my best friends a, couple, a year and a half ago. And one of the girls who I had randomly met, who ironically enough was the doppelganger of the girl who my husband cheated on me with. Like I, I like, like my heart dropped to my feet when I saw her for the first time. Cause I was like, Oh God, she ended up being a lovely girl. Mm. Um, but we ended up becoming friends with all the people that were at the resort we were at. And I ended up, you know, just like talking about it because there was a guy there who had had a very similar situation. Mm-hmm. We were like on the pool and like drunk and talking about it. Like three months after that vacation was over, we had all become Facebook friends. And she reached out to me via Facebook and was like, my boyfriend broke up with me. And I remember you talking about how you had gone through a really bad breakup. And like, can you help me? Like, I don't know what to do. And that's when I really started realizing how we all have these, not all of us, but a lot of people have these really awful, isolating relationships. Mm -hmm. And I think people feel like they're alone in it or they can't talk about it or because they didn't hit you or they didn't do something really like outwardly aggressively awful to Mm -hmm. you that you shouldn't be complaining about it or that you deserved it because that's what a lot of people make you think like you deserve to be treated like this and I started realizing that this was a story that I wanted to share on a grander level yeah and not that like I have any answers but I do have a story and I did I did get through I did get through my my thing my stuff your cats are so cute yeah he's just scratching Um, So yeah, so then I thought, well, why don't I start doing this? Why don't I start writing it down? Why don't I start collecting like an idea and a Mm storyline? And then it started turning into a really good idea. And I started finding music that really made sense and really strung the story along. And so then I auditioned for Davenport's and they seemed like they really liked it. And so then I really had to start getting to work on it. Mm -hmm. And now it's a week and a half away. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's the thing that's always... um interesting to me about the Davenport's shows is that um, in a lot of ways the artist really does a lot of the legwork and has to have that oh we do that all structure. of the legwork yeah. at least I mean like 
I think because I'm a first timer there, like, mm-hmm. you know, they they have no reason to do any legwork for mm-hmm. me at this point. They don't know me from Adam, so yeah. it's fine. But yeah, they seem they seem really open to doing a lot of newer ideas. Right. More than just like an evening of jazz, which is lovely. An evening of jazz is lovely, but my cabaret is definitely not a traditional cabaret. Mm-hmm. I'm only singing nine songs. It's mostly me talking and kind of trying to get people to see what my three years was like. Yeah. And well, the last three years, obviously, I kind of actually start from when I was a kid and just talk about stuff. And how do we get to be in this place? Because that's a big thing that I had to sit there and look at myself with. Mm -hmm. It's like, how did you let this happen? Like, how did you get here? Yeah. And so, and you can feel free to be like, I don't want to answer that question. Um, like emotional abuse can manifest in many different ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering how it manifested for you. Sure. I mean, yeah, I'm sing about it. So yeah, I'm right. happy to talk about it here. <laughs> um, so I talk about in my show that I read an article a while ago that talked about how abuse, whether it's physical or emotional or anything, is kind of like living in a house with a leaky kitchen faucet where it's just a drip and it doesn't seem like a really big deal. And it always starts out small. Mm. It's one little fight or one little setup or one little thing. And for me, um, it was always that he insisted that he was cooler than me, that he knew about cooler music and he was smarter than me. And he was then it just started becoming like he was better than me. Mm. And after years of looking at this guy and being like, yeah, because when you date somebody, when you meet someone, you you don't like meet somebody and go like, oh, that that fucking guy. Like you you meet someone and you're like, God, they're great. They're so cool. And they know all this cool stuff. And when you're 19 and 20 years old and you meet somebody and you're like, God, they're so cool. And they do know about cool movies. And, you know, we met in college. So he was in this really great fraternity and he had this really cool car and like he paid for everything. And I'd never met a guy ever who paid for stuff for me. Like we went to different schools. So he would pay he would pay for the gas for me to drive to his campus all the time. Mm. Now, he also would give me it was like a a credit card for bp gas that was like his dad's or his grandfather's or something and i mean like here's like here's where it is right he would pay for gas for me to go to and from my campus to his campus except he would give me the credit card i would have to go buy the gas go back to his place like somehow get while he was sleeping put it back in his wallet and then i could go and leave so it was like very much on his terms everything was very much on his terms and the thing is when you're 20 and you've always kind of felt like you weren't good enough or pretty enough or cool enough or smart enough. It's easy to kind of get under that. Mm-hmm. And when it's in, it's never all bad and it's never all abusive. 95% of it is always fun and he loves me and he buys me these things and he's nice to me and he tells me I'm pretty and he tells me I'm this, right? But then it slowly starts building. Just like if you don't fix a leaky faucet, all of a sudden there's water all over the floor Mm. and all of a sudden you're knee deep in water and then all of a sudden you're neck deep in water and you have no idea how you got there Yeah, because he loves you and he takes care of you and he does all these great things for you, right? Like 
95% of my relationship with my ex was great. I mean, even today, we still talk like a little bit. I don't talk to him very much anymore. But if I really had something go down, if I some, like my car broke down and I couldn't get a hold of anybody, mm-hmm. I could call him and I know he would come and pick me up. Even though yeah. we were in a monstrously abusive relationship by the end. I know he would still come and help me. And that's kind of where everything gets really fuzzy and everything gets really gray. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's easy to lose yourself in all of it. Yeah. Because you can give every excuse and every justification why he said this awful thing or he did this awful thing to me. Yeah, but, you know, he does this and he does that and he loves mm-hmm. me. So it's okay. And then it just kind of builds. Yeah. I feel like this actually might weirdly segue well into the answer to my next question, which is specifically I want to um, talk to you about what your inspiration for the branding of all of it was. Because, like, you've kind of done this, like, you've had, you had like, a photo shop and you have all these really awesome photos. Yes, I got, it, and, like, just to do a plug, I did my photo shoot with Vavoom Pinups. Cool. And Heather, the owner of that, is absolutely fabulous. If anybody ever wants to go and take pictures and feel fabulous and look fabulous. She was absolutely incredible. I will send everybody there. So yeah, she was she was amazing. I knew I wanted to do those photos exactly the way. It was like this whole vision for me. Right. Um, so one of them is me with the mascara tears going down, like sitting on the side of a street with, with all of my luggage, which is kind of the idea of I, we were only married for a couple years. And I had all these plans, like we were going to have a house and we were going to have kids. And it like really felt like I'd been kicked out of the limo on the way to the party, which is where those pictures came from. And, you know, I had this vision and I wasn't sure if I should do it all myself, if I should do a photographer. And I, somebody I know did some pinup pictures there and I saw them. I was like, oh, right, Bavoom pinups, I should call her. And I had a really long conversation with her and... We just, we kind of really hit an understanding with each other. And she, she wants to expand what she does outside of just really traditional Varga girl pinups. And for me, I wanted to, I wanted to show the beauty and the brokenness because a lot of, of my journey getting out of the really bad place that I was in when my marriage finally ended was about confronting how broken I was Mm. and how awful I felt and how weak I felt and how for a really long time that felt really negative. Like there was no way that I could be better if I felt broken, Mm. but I had no way of figuring out how to piece myself back together. And I remember being in therapy and saying like, I feel like I'm a fraud. Like I feel like I'm like all these people, think that I'm strong or they think that I'm moving forward and, you know, like I'm redecorating my apartment and I'm building my business and I seem like everything's going well and I'm like moving on as like a proud single girl. But in reality, like I feel awful. I feel broken. I hate being alone. I feel sad. And and sometimes all I can do is just get up and breathe every day. And that's like it. And I remember my therapist sitting there and she's like, but that's why you are strong because you wake up every morning and you feel broken and you still get out of bed and you Mm. still breathe and you still keep moving forward. And that was like a massive light bulb moment for me. And so 
all of the photos that I'm doing are about finding beauty in the brokenness because Mm -hmm. we all are just complete fucking messes. And if you want to sit there and say that you're not a mess, I don't believe you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So the, the whole marketing thing is for me was about highlighting that it's not, there is absolutely no shame in whatever your relationship past is or whatever, any of your past is like if you're getting up and breathing every day and moving forward like that's beautiful Mm -hmm. that's fantastic that's who you are and nobody gets to take that away from you even if your identity is completely tied up like for me my identity for a really long time was really hinged on the person that i was dating and then when that got taken away from me i didn't know who i was supposed to be Mm. and that's okay too like that's part of who i am that's part of my identity and i also just like dressing up in pretty things and (laughs) having my hair be fabulous so like that's the beauty in my brokenness i think that's i think that's a really important message to get across especially for people who are going through things that everyone so so this is something that I encountered when my dad died is I was like, everybody's dad dies. This mm-hmm. is something that literally everybody goes through. Why am I taking it so badly? And I was hard on myself mm-hmm. for it. Mm-hmm. Of like, why can't I just get over it? Like, literally this happens to every single person. Mm-hmm. And it is about allowing yourself the time and the space and the grace yes. to... To be, to like live in it. Yeah. Because you have to. Otherwise yeah. you can't, if you don't process everything, it's, it like, it's, you're carrying these chains. I totally agree. I always say that emotions are just like little kids. Yeah. And they want you to recognize that they're there, right? <laughs> We've all seen like, look, it was like, mom, 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 mama, mama. And like, all they want to do is show you the thing, right? But if you keep batting them away... They'll sit there. They'll be very, very patient. And yeah. I mean, like for me, I sat for three months for an entire summer. I wouldn't sleep in my bedroom because it was just, I just couldn't be in there. I slept on my couch and I just survived on Tylenol PM and bourbon. My poor liver. Dear God, the fact that it still exists <laughs> mm-hmm. is amazing. But that was all I could do. And I cried and I watched Under the Tuscan Sun every freaking night, oh which is an amazing divorce movie, which I talk about in my cabaret. <laughs> and I would. I love that movie. It's so good. <laughs> it's like the best divorce lady movie ever. <laughs> the hot Italian guys. It's great. And you know, but the thing was, that's what I needed to do Mm -hmm. that's what i had to do i had to sit on that couch and be drunk and drug myself to sleep so i couldn't dream and just be in how absolutely devastated i was do you still live in the same place yes i do how is that (laughs) so at first it was awful another line from my show i talk about um it it felt for a really long time like i was living in a mausoleum of what my old life was because I wouldn't touch anything and I wouldn't redecorate anything because the the process of us breaking up was a really long time so I never knew I didn't know if he was coming home right and so I wouldn't touch any I kept everything perfect in case he would come home he was never coming home we all knew that right I wasn't ready to like get to that point to accept that 
So um, actually part of like the process for me was redecorating that apartment and yeah. like making it mine. And it was also a choice for me to stay in this town because I'm not from Chicago. I very few like I have no I hate saying I have no ties here and I have no roots here because I do have ties here and I right. do have roots here. But um, my my parents are outside of San Francisco where I grew up. And when everything happened, they were like that, like, let's get a U-Haul. Let's pack your shit up. We'll take you home. You can get it. And I mean, like the economy out there is great. You, know, you can get a job with Pinterest or Facebook or whatever. Like right. there's a bajillion jobs that we you can start over. But I kind of sat there and I was like, you know what? No, I'm not running away from my life. Like it's awful and I'm sad and it's shitty, but I am not going to just run away with my tail between my legs. So living in that apartment for a while was really awful. Mm-hmm. But I specifically stayed there because I just dug in my heels and I refused. I refused to be chased off for something that I didn't do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the idea of because like the decision to end a relationship, there is a mutual aspect Mm -hmm. to it. There's a lot of mutual aspects. And so the idea of like admitting defeat or anything in regards to that ending of an arrangement Mm -hmm. is self-destructive. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's awesome that you didn't leave. Thank you. It's well, also a great place, too. I don't want to give that shit up. <laughs> a good it's a great apartment. What neighborhood are you in? Um, I'm really close to you guys. I'm in, like, Ravenswood. Nice. Anderson. I call it Raversonville because it's technically Ravenswood, <laughs> but I'm always in Andersonville. Nice. No, yeah, it's, like, right on Foster and Damon. I love that area. I know. It's so it's great. It's such a good yeah. And, you know, <laughs> redecorating it, getting his shit out, getting his shit out took forever. Jesus. All of his um, cool, cool shit. All of his cool, cool shit. All gone. Um, yeah. You know, and, and claiming it for my own and making it mine. My dining room is pink now. Good. And I was like, well, shit, if I'm going to be single again, like magically in my 30s, I'm going to decorate it the way that I want to decorate it because it's my place now. Mm-hmm. And that was a really big deal. And I love my apartment. And it's a huge, it's a huge piece of identity for me, that place. Because I decided to stay. Yeah. And I remember, I remember he, um, the first thing I did was just change a little bit of artwork out. Like just a few things. I think, Mm -hmm. I think I got a piece of art from Foresighted on Clark and Winnemac, which is like one of my, or Clark and Carmen. Oh my God. If anybody from Foresighted is listening and I will be your spokesperson if you'll give me free stuff. (laughs) I love, it's like my favorite store in Chicago. And I got an art print that said fucking fantastic. And I was like, I love this. I'm fucking fantastic. And I was starting to like reclaim like me being fabulous. Mm -hmm. And I took like two little pieces of art down and put that one up. And he came into that apartment and saw it. And my ex, because he was still kind of coming to visit every once in a while. And Mm -hmm. he saw it. And I just saw like this look on his face. He was livid that I would change anything in that apartment. And I remember, like, we got into a fight about it. And I was like, no, 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 like, you don't, I, I can change the art back. Like, it's okay, but you're not here. So I'm going to put some stuff up that I want to have around because you're not here. And I want to feel good about where I'm at. Yeah. And that was kind of the beginning of 
all of that life starting to just really erode and really break away to show the new thing that's my life now. Wow. Now I have a lot of really pretty art. Like mermaids and unicorns and shit. It's great. Nice. (laughs) Damn. Yeah. (laughs) That's been the biggest thing is... um, It's it's hard because there's still a part of me. I mean, he knows I'm doing this show, but there's still a part of me that I don't want to say anything disparaging about him. He did what he did. He made his apologies. He's moving on with his life, and I'm moving on with mine. And I none of this is like none of this is about bashing. A spe- no, this isn't a revenge piece. I mean, I guess it's slightly petty, but like <laughs> whatever. I'm not in perfect. I'm just a singer, um, but. You know, coming from a place of being healed as much as I've healed and then writing the script. And I mean, I'm on like the third or fourth version of my script because the first version was just a stream of consciousness talking about everything from my first crush to like the last person who pissed me off and then like turning it into a more specific narrative and then working with my director and very very close friend Rose Freeman who's directing the show with me and we combed through that script and turned it into more of a more of like monologue dialogue kind of thing instead of a narrative and going through everything that happened like in a chronological way was really weird because it was the first time that I wasn't like knee deep in it And it was the first time that I wasn't giving any excuses for it. And I wasn't justifying it. And it was really, it was really crazy to be like, Jesus, like, I can't believe I went through all of that. Like when you just spell it all out like that, you just lay it all out there in like an hour show. Like it's, it's crazy. And like telling all these anecdotes about like, oh, he got mad because I did this or, oh, this happened or, oh, this was said. Like, in the moment, it never felt like a big deal. It just felt like this is just who we are and this is just how he is. Right, but when you add it all up. And you look back at it from when you're not in the middle of it, it's like, holy crap. Like, Yeah. Yeah. It, um, that's been the biggest thing. And I think, and it's like I said, it's a little petty doing the show. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean. I feel like you can, I feel like you can do have a little, I mean, it's not like you're going to start the show with, like, his name on a cue card. No. And, like, and I progress- do have a disclaimer, and I will always do this disclaimer. He was one of the great loves of my life, and I wish him nothing but the best and happiness in his life. But, you know, his tenure with me was not his finest moments. And it the show isn't really about him. It's mm-hmm. about me, and it's about everybody who goes through something like this. And I just want to make sure that people know that they're not alone. Just like I said in the beginning, this sweet girl who lives in Texas who reached out to me because she needed help going through a breakup and something that I said to her when we were drunk in a pool had struck such a chord that it helped her. Like, that's the thing. Like, if this helps just one person know that they're not alone and know that whatever it is that they're going through is okay and that mm-hmm. they're okay. Then that's it. That's the that's the whole point. That's the whole point for this show. Yeah. I'm so would you mind talking about like some of the things that people can look forward to 
in your cabaret, like some of the, unless you're, you know, yeah, we could, there's dick jokes. There's some good dick oh, jokes. Good. <laughs> I mean, most of my humor is either like dad pun jokes or dick jokes. That's a, it's pretty much my well, sense I'm, pretty, of humor. I'm also really curious about the music too. Like for, as far as like picking the music, how did you, what did you find that um, really kind of paired up to your It's actually amazing how I really love the music that I picked out, but I am not, I'm an opera singer by trade. Mm -hmm. I don't know a ton of cabaret music and a ton of musical theater stuff. And a lot of the music theater stuff I know is the stupid crap that we know. Like Oklahoma, like like, gives a shit, right? (laughs) Um, So I, you know, I just have some friends who were really great with music theater. And I was like, just tell me what you think. Give me some music. And then thanks to like streaming stuff like Spotify, where it was like, if you like this artist, you would like this artist and you would like this. And I just started piecing together some music, um, some things that I'm really happy I'm singing. I'm singing a piece by Pesek and Paul from their their show Edges, which I I don't know how Pesek and Paul does it, but they their music just, it really highlights what it's like to be heartbroken. And they're incredible. They're some of my favorite writing team. I even, when I was trying to get a copy of the song that I'm singing, I'm pretty sure I was emailing them (laughs) and I like totally fangirled out (laughs) because I had a problem with like, I just didn't get the link to get the digital thing. And I was like emailing back and forth and I was like, you know what? I was like, and they did the music for La La Land. So like, I'm pretty sure they're not doing their, I don't know. I don't think they're answering their own emails anymore, which is fine. Like good for them. But I was, Mm -hmm. I emailed them and when I responded back, I'm like, by the way, if either of you are actually reading this, and I'm like, thank you so much. And I'm like, your music is so touching. I had a really hard time picking which one I wanted to do, and I'm doing this cabaret. And they actually responded back. They're like, thank you so much. Like, good luck on your cabaret. And I was like, yeah. Like, I got really excited. <laughs> um, and then I'm singing some really fun stuff that I would never be able to sing. I'm singing, like, something from Hairspray. I'm singing something from Bye Bye Birdie. I'm singing a country ballad. Cool. But... You know, um, obviously something from the last five years because the last five years is incredible. It's such a good show. And it's really fun. It's repertoire that I've never sung before. Technically, it was something that I had to, like, figure out how to approach just Mm -hmm. because it's different. It sits in a different tessitura. It sits in a different part of my voice. But it's really fun and it's really easy to sing. And it's it's a nice little vacay from all of the opera I've been singing for the last... 20 years, 20 years I've been singing opera. I think I started, decided I wanted to be an opera singer when I was 13. Then I'm turning 34 on the day of my opera, of my cabaret. So yeah, 20 years of singing opera and I'm celebrating it by singing all cabaret music. Mm -hmm. But it's only nine songs. It's mostly me kind of telling my story. Mm -hmm. But it all fits really well together and I'm really, really happy with it. Oh, and I rewrote, I rewrote the lyrics to one song. Cool. Yeah. So uh, instead of singing "God Help the Outcasts," I'm singing "God Help the Fuck Boys." So if anybody <laughs> wants, wants to come and hear that, I think that's worth the price of admission. Yeah. Absolutely. On its own. Yeah. One hundred percent. Um. So, like, how has is this going to be like the first of many cabarets, or is this like a one-off thing and then like back to you know, Caroline Shaw, opera diva, forever and ever. No, well, that's never, never <laughs> been the case. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I've really enjoyed this process from mm-hmm. start to finish. This also was an extremely personal journey for me. This was a huge, like, 
punctuation at the end of a very big part of my life. Yeah. And um, I would love to do more cabarets. I don't know if they would ever be like this. And if this gets good reception and if this touches people, I would love to do Shawshank like all over the place. I would be happy to keep doing this because I think it's a message that's worth repeating. I think it's a message that's worth being told to more than one group of people. Mm -hmm. And obviously, like, this one is probably going to be mostly people who are friends with me (laughs) and my parents right front and center. So... (laughs) If anybody wants to see my dad's face while I'm making dick jokes, you guys also completely worth the price of it. Just like a set up another camera, just <laughs> just to film my parents. Just to Carolyn's dad's <laughs> angle. Jim's yeah. a good guy. Well, um, I've um I've known you for like three, three four years, yeah, maybe four years, yeah. Um, and I have always found that you're best when you get to kind of work that creative muscle a bit. Like for Opera on Tap, you're all whenever you're bringing in like something no one's ever heard of before yeah or like you know doing something different and i think that that's uh super important and i i um i don't have a question i just was paying you a compliment thank you very nice compliment (laughs) you know when my relationship started imploding my opera career started imploding too about uh Maybe a month or two before I caught my ex cheating on me i had done one of the cheryl milnes programs out in new york city and uh, it was a bad week. It was probably one of the worst weeks of singing I'd ever had in my life. And it was like, I came home from New York being like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. And like for having so many years where like singing at the Met was like the only thing. Right, that was my that's... only focus. That was all, that was the mm-hmm. only definitive benchmark of success for me and I remember leaving New York and being and like I literally had a woman look me in the face and be like you're not as good as you think you are and that like is really rough to say to a 27 28 year old person who's been just trying their hardest to like sing and get there and like you know I was singing for Cheryl Millens I was singing for some incredible directors I was talking to you know, somebody who had a personal relationship with Callas who told me that I would be a wonderful Violetta someday. Like, you know, and just it was I was crushed and everything kind of imploded on me at the same time. Mm. And out of all of this, I actually don't even really identify as a singer anymore. I identify as a performer now. Yeah. And one of the biggest things that came out of this is when I was in the middle of like crawling out of this relationship i was also doing um third eyes first show ever i did the medium with them oh right yeah and that show saved my life Mm. that show was one of the most incredible things i've ever done because it was the first time was that also with rose that was absolutely with rose yeah um that was a good show um we've had rose on like four times now and every time she's always like I just quit. Oh, were you were you here when she had just quit smoking? Was that with you? <laughs> she didn't quit, by the way. Yeah, yeah, no. She totally. Stopped. No, we've heard. Yeah. <laughs> so she's, I was telling Morgan, she's directing my cabaret. Cool. And like, we'll be working on this script and she'll be like, write this. And then she just like walks and like smokes a cigarette out yeah. on my landing and like, yeah, and I'll be like yelling the lines that I like rewrote to her while she's smoking out in the, on the landing. Um, yeah, that show saved my life. And it was one of the first times... 
it wasn't about just the vocal quality. It was about this piece that we were putting on and it yeah. was about what the audience was going to feel and like how we were going to do it. And Minotti is one of my favorite composers, mm-hmm. bar none. Like I don't know anybody who doesn't like him. I'm like, what is, do you not feel things? Like what's wrong with you? And mm-hmm. I remember one of the biggest things that we did in that show is there's a ton of fermatas over rests in that show. And we would do the longest, most uncomfortable pauses in that show. And you could just see people like shifting in their seats because they were so, it was the, oh God, it was in a black box theater. It was a thrust stage that was only two rows deep. And it was so creepy and it was so beautiful and it was so amazing. And while Monica is an incredibly hard piece, that's a hard role to sing. But like it never like dawned on me that it was hard to sing because I was so in the in the world and I was so invested in making art that made people feel something. Mm-hmm. And that triggered like this whole thing for me where I really started walking away from just traditional like I'm going to sing Bohem and I'm going to sing Traviata and mm-hmm. I'm going to have this beautiful high note into like three what... years of Largo. God, I love that. It's hysterical, though, yeah, right? Yeah, and like, yeah. that's the thing. Like, it makes people think. And so I started changing the way I look at performing and singing to, am I, am I being beautiful? Are people noticing me? Am I getting this good review? How is this helping my career? Like, will I get into a yap after this? To, mm-hmm. like, am I making somebody feel something? Does this matter to me? Is this putting something out into the world that I can be proud of? And it all is kind of culm- well, not culminating, but like this cabaret is just a logical next step mm. into instead of me doing productions with people and doing the music of other people. Now I'm I'm putting myself out there and my story out there as a piece of art to yeah. try to touch people. It always bums me out. <clears throat> it always bums me out when people like have to angle their art into like leverage it like it's a you know like it's a job offer it is it's their job though i i know and it's but i remember having a conversation with a singer and it was actually i think i think that it was actually a conversation with us two and this other singer and you were talking about how you've worked with all these kind of like storefront opera companies and he was like can't work with many too, too many storefront operas or you know the big houses won't take you seriously. So like you should probably do an audition with a bigger house. And it's like, I don't want to work with a bigger house. I don't think you can work with, you can't work with too many storefront operas, especially in this town. I know. I mean, they're incredible. These companies are amazing. Yeah. And even if they're complete messes, like they're trying, like they're trying to put some art out there. They're trying to do something. Yeah. No, I, and I think, um, if I can like piggyback on what you're saying, I just think it's the, I don't know where we, how we got into this thought of train of thought, but just the um, I definitely think it's important to value our labor as artists and our labor as singers. Mm-hmm. But I think it's um, a dangerous game when we try too hard to make like um, the artistry singing track look just like I don't know the law track, yeah. the like the. Um, medicine finance medicine yeah. right where like you're like oh um i like only the best can do and i think in in some tracks that's obviously the way that it would work but i think with with artistry like it's just i mean yeah like every, i guess everybody wants to be singing at the met but like you don't i don't i, I don't think no, that, i don't want to sing at the met anymore i don't, I don't think the don't met is the, the forefront of of art right now frankly like i think the and, met is like putting up 
the same thing. Well, they're doing they're doing some good stuff. I mean, their GM is really trying to push the envelope in the way that he can. But I mean, and they do like the new music initiatives they have. It's too. good, and I mean, I know people who are singing. There are no people on the roster there, and they're fantastic singers. Yeah. I mean, just so I mean, like to stand. I have a couple. Funny enough, I have a tenor friend. He's um, where is he out of Rio? He's incredible. He's singing all over the world, and yeah. to stand next to him and listen to him sing, I mean, like, that's amazing. But, you know, people that are on that track, that's their track. That's what right. they want to do. And I think it's I think it's kind of like a separate but equal thing, right? Well, like, there's those yeah. of us who are doing the storefront thing. There's those of us that are, are trying to make art and trying to push that point of view and that's really important Mm -hmm. it's really important for us to do that and i don't mean to poo poo anybody who's at the met or at lyric or santa fe because honestly if one of them walked through the store and said to any of us hey come with me yeah i would throw these headphones off and be like fuck you guys see you later (laughs) like i would go but i mean they're just another they're just another leg on on that caterpillar, on that arts right. caterpillar. And what they do is important. It's important to have the big productions Absolutely. of Bowen. That's important. You know, it's just like, I don't like the stuff like you were saying. Like, right. well, you can't do too much storefront opera. The big houses will never, like, who cares? Like, maybe I'm not a big house person. Like, maybe I don't want to sing in a big house anymore. And on top of that, you need both. I like that metaphor. You need both legs. Like, mm-hmm. you need both things. It actually really reminds me really well of, um, I know this is like a, this is like a, blatant segue and we don't have to get into this topic too much if we don't we don't want to but like the charlottesville conversation like one of the many pieces of it um but one of the things is this idea of like the thing that's been happening right now is what is like an alt left right and yeah. there's like that is first off a terrible misnomer but like the um the real conversation is there is like what do like the radicals i guess if you want to call them that of the left do Mm -hmm. for the left itself and Mm -hmm. like there's so Mm -hmm. much to say for the importance of direct action just in the same way that there's so much to say about grassroots opera and in a lot of ways like how these kind of more independent more small things are influ you can't deny that they're influencing and impacting the uh the movement the artistry at large and and you you have to have both things. And I, I guess completely that's, agree. I mean, yeah. politics and music are, are very similar in that mm-hmm. way. I think the real tragedy, I mean, if we're going to talk politics for a second, the real tragedy that's happening in our country amongst all of the other smaller tragedies that's happening is that it's not about I'm right and you're wrong. That's not what it's about. And we're all very liberal Democrats here. So, like, we all think we're on the right side of history. And I think we are, too. But... The real tragedy is that it's not about right or wrong. It's that everybody has good ideas and you come together and you make compromises and you Mm. figure out the best thing between the two of us. I can't believe I ever was going to say this because I grew up outside of San Francisco. My mom was kind of a Republican when I was growing up and we would get into screaming matches over public policy on the Mm -hmm. dinner table when I was 16 years old. Like I most of the time when I got sent to my room when I was in high school is because I eventually just like screamed at my mom too much about abortion (laughs) rights or whatever it was that we were yelling at each other over the dinner table. But the thing is, it's important to have those dialogues and it's important to come up because we don't have all the answers, right? Mm -hmm. Democrats don't have all the answers. Republicans don't have all the answers. We need both sides to come up with the best ideas for everybody in the country. And that's where polarizing politics doesn't work. And if we want to compare that to the arts, it's the same thing. Right. 
Big opera houses need people like us because mm-hmm. we're the ones with the big bright ideas. We're the ones that are the problem solvers. When you have a budget of nothing and you're and like and ideas that are coming out of your head like crazy and you just have this art that you need to put out there, that's important to have. Yep. When you have a story that's so important to you that you will go anywhere, including a piano bar in Wicker Park, to get that story out, that's important. Mm-hmm. They need us. They need, you know. Absolutely. Because no matter what... I mean, Puccini was just some renegade guy, like, writing his shit until he became Puccini. Mm -hmm. And now, 200 years later, he's, you know, or 100 years later or whatever, he's, I'm awful at dates. So all of the music history buffs, don't judge me. But now he's at all of the big houses. And now there doesn't a day that goes by that a Puccini opera isn't getting performed somewhere in the world. But that's important too, right? We Mm -hmm. need to preserve those things. We need the big budgets and the grand, beautiful things. Because in the end... Opera, more than anything else, is a grand, beautiful art form that needs people who might not have a lot of vision, but they have a lot of fucking money. Yeah. I We had a conversation similar to this when we had Chicago Fringe Opera on of, like, the importance of art at every level. Yeah, and they're brilliant. I've loved their mission since the moment they started yeah. forming. And, it, and I think that it's a message that bears repeating of, like, there needs to be like the scrappy upstarters mm-hmm. at the quote unquote bottom um, that come up with the innovations that, you know, premiere the new works. And yeah. then there needs to be the mid level of like the revamping of those ideas with a slightly mm-hmm. bigger budget that pulls in school crowds. Mm-hmm. And then there needs to be, you know, the regional houses that have that employ choruses mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and, you know, put on the approachable productions of Marriage of Figaro and that, you know, introduce younger audiences to what it was. To what it was. I mean, if we didn't have Mozart, if we didn't have Beethoven, if we didn't have, and I I hate Baroque music, but if, you know, Handel is important. I'm not going to go watch it, but it's important that he was there and it's important that we... I mean, going back to the Charlottesville thing, we have to recognize what our past was. That's exactly, We have to do that. And we need the big houses to do that, too. But those big houses, I mean, that's the thing. Like, we can't sit there and be be rude to them. I totally trolled Renee Fleming when they, on Facebook, when they came out with their new season. I'm like, you have one, like, female director. You have no female composer. I was such a dick. Well, that's, I guess, the thing is, I am all, and I, this, I feel like I've said this, like, about so many different things. I'm all for coalition building. Mm-hmm. I think the hardest thing for me is when the, like, scrappy upstart, the scrappy, you know, just trying to make it work in the corner or people doing direct action, when they're not invited to the table. I think that's a really hard thing for right. me. And I, I think that... But, um, you need, but they need to know that we have some table manners when they take us to dinner. That's fair. And that's why everybody needs to reach across the aisle, right? Like, the big houses can't be dicks to us just because we're scrappy and we're, you know, recording podcasts in an apartment. And we can't be dicks to them because they have more money than us. And we Mm -hmm. think that artistically we're superior. We can't. It has to be both. Yeah. The only thing I think that's hard about it is that when you're at the scrappy level, it's, it's not like you... The person that owns the table... 
is is the men. And so, like, the person that, like, they they make the, like, we have no say in how the rules are made, I guess is Did my point. Did you say point. the men or the Mets? The, the Mets. Okay. Like. But both. That's another podcast, and <laughs> yeah. I will be there for that one. But also, the, yeah, also, the, if you don't, what I'm saying is just, like, it's hard to, like, say what is, um, how did, because you put it really well, what, when you said, um. Having manners was that we what have you said? to the, the, if we're gonna p- if we're gonna get invited to dinner they have to know we have table manners. Well, I, that's I think what I think that deciding what table manners is is a, is a, is important. I think finding things that like we, how we want to have discourse should be an agreed upon thing from both sides. That's I guess what I mean by like mm-hmm. inviting to the table. Well, and because, you know I think yeah. I think the lyric does a good job with that. They have the outreach program right. now. They have the stuff where they're doing the voice lessons for the kids and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lyric Unlimited, I think, is, yeah, is trying Lyric to Lyric do... is doing a good job. I really, you know, they could do better, but, you know, I didn't know they have a the... lot of stuff going on. I didn't know about the voice lessons for kids. Yeah, there's a voice studio out there. Cause they were hiring voice teachers, I remember, when they were doing it. I just don't like teaching voice. So. That's, That's fair. fair. <laughs> um, I, well, because I've done some work with um bringing music to inner city schools i did that in milwaukee it's important yeah and um i worked i was the i was a teaching artist and the social media administrator for a piano competition out of milwaukee called piano arts oh god and so i would go in and i would i would go into classrooms that didn't have music or that either didn't have music or wanted to supplement their music program Mm -hmm. and i would give like three hour-long classes about like being a good audience and that's really good perceptive listening that's lovely and i remember kids would walk up to me and be like can you give me piano lessons and i would i would be like i'm not a pianist but i'm gonna talk to the lady in charge and we're gonna i'm gonna see if there's a way that we can get piano lessons Mm -hmm. to you when i worked and when i lived in dc i went into preschools and did that i did a classical music class at like three or four different preschools throughout the week for a month and a half i taught a whole bunch of four-year-olds um magic flute in its entirety Mm. (laughs) the whole thing it was adorable if you've ever had a group of little four-year-olds and be like what are we watching today and they'd all go deets alba flute like every (laughs) it was so cute and i did the um i had the dvd of the abridged version english version from 2005 in the met with nathan gunn as papageno and it was adorable and kids absolutely loved it i mean these kids were pretty privileged but I mean, it's important to throw that out there. And that's where, like, the scrappy in the trenches stuff goes to. I remember I was having some coachings with one of the big wigs at the Lyric. What's his name? Uh, Phil something. He always wears the, like, like he had, like, the same, like, weird Christmas sweater, like, every time I saw him. <laughs> he was a brilliant coach, but I remember he asked me what I did for a living. And I was like, oh, I... I teach little kids piano lessons. It's not like a big, you know, and like I was so apologetic for it because I'm sitting in the downtown apartment of this guy who's like one of the main people at the Lyric. And I remember he's like, don't apologize for that. He's like, you are training tomorrow's audiences. What you do is really important. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there is some really nice crossover, I think. Yeah. They do an okay job. I mean, and we're here to keep them honest and they're here to keep us hungry. Yeah. And it's a, I think it's a nice symbiotic relationship. Cool. Well, um, we have a couple minutes left. Sure. 
So the last thing we do with all of our guests is a one-minute plug for anything they have upcoming. Sometimes it's very obvious, <laughs> um, like a cabaret. Like um, a cabaret at Davenport's in on Milwaukee in Wicker Park. 8 o'clock. Yeah, just like that. August 28th, which is also my birthday. Tickets are $15 with a two-drink minimum. Um, I think we should raise it to three just because we're going to go on an emotional journey with each other, <laughs> and it might just be important. So, yes, please come. You can find tickets on Davenport's website. All you have to do is search my name, Caroline Shawl, S-H-A-U-L, and please come and see my cabaret and hear about all of my dating. And my divorce and a couple dick jokes. It's going to be fun. You're going to laugh. You're going to cry. Just a couple dick yeah, jokes. Like I mean, salt. just a couple. Right. <laughs> you know. yeah. It's not like it's going to be like a full hour of dick jokes or anything. No, <laughs> no. Just a few small ones. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't nail it. Nailed it. That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank you all so much for listening. I've been Dale Johansson. I continue to be Maureen Smith. If you want to keep up with what we are up to, there are a lot of ways you can do that. You can go to scopymag.com. Actually, I just revamped the website. We have two new pages on there. Um, all of the podcast episodes are now are going to have their own page on there. And then all of these Scopy Studios, when they get uploaded to YouTube, will also have their own page. So that's super exciting. So heading to our website is now a thing that is, is, is pretty fruitful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. There is not any of the... It's So this will actually be the first podcast episode up on the website, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, and you can always find all of the podcast episodes on iTunes or we're on Google Play now. Um, yeah. I like really revamped our tech stuff uh, over the last 24 hours. But anyway, so that's... Even while cool. being drunk, you guys. So big <laughs> I, hand... Yeah, big I, hand over here. I can't not. I'm t- slowly turning into a weird, like a really weird workaholic. Where like I'm, a, I obsessively work on like this and like not on anything that matters. No, I get it for life. I get it. Um, well, speaking of which, uh, I'm gonna plug the photography thing before. Absolutely. Before, so Morgan's gonna talk about specifics about what it be- means to be a donor. But I want to mention again something that I'm doing with the podcast, which is we're working on what this co-op model is gonna look like. And so part of that is we're working on what benefits the what what why you would be- want to become a donor, like legitimately why. And so what we're one of the things that we're starting now is if you sign up. For, to be a donor for $10 a month, you'll get unlimited photography from me in our studio apartment. I have lighting. I can put a screen up so it's like a legitimate studio photography experience. We've had one person take us up on this already. Yep. Um, and so, and let's like, you know, because when you become a monthly donor, you get a shout out. Um, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Rosie... Rosie. Well, her stage name is Rosie Roche, so yeah. I'm, I'm going to just mention her stage name. Yeah, so Rosie Roche, she is the um, producer of the Nude Cast, which is a burlesque... The Nudes Room. The, sorry, the Nudes Room, um, which is a burlesque in Chicago podcast. Um, she's going to have... <laughs> she's going to have um, unlimited photography from Daniel because she chose to give at $10 a month. She also won uh, the last bag of coffee. From, and uh, Joaquin. Joaquin won the second to last. So no more coffee. Yep, no just the, coffee. yeah, so you should do that. Um, so I'm here to emphasize the importance of donations. We run on a shoestring budget. Everything that we've been able to do up to this point has been through your generosity. So first of all, thank you so much. Second of all, we could use a little bit more help. Um, 
If you are in a position to give, you can head to our website, scopymag.com, go to our About section. There are two ways that you can give. You can give on a one-time basis. If you choose to do that, you'll have our undying love and a handwritten thank you note. Um, if you choose to give on a monthly level, as we've been saying, there are some really awesome incentives. Um, you, If you give it $10 a month, you'll get Daniel's Unlimited Photography. If you give it um, $5 a month or higher, then you are entered in to... Actually, our next donor. monthly donor gets 30 days of unlimited yoga at B Yoga Andersonville, which is awesome. So you should do that. Give a little, give a lot, and if you can't give, then listen, participate, and share. Thanks again so much for listening. Go out and make something. Yep. <laughs>